blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I, of course, am your host, J.J. Jerez, as always, with me here, my main man, my podcasting partner in crime, Arif Dean. I like that title. I, I used it for the first time last week, and I liked it. How'd you like it? I, it it's a lot better than uh, just being your main man. I like being your podcasting partner in crime, too, so I'm, I'm down. Yeah. Some may say this is a crime, what we do here, but we're here to obviously talk about the NHL draft. It just finished up today. It was honestly, in my opinion, a, just a terrible television product. Uh, I had to watch it, though, of course, but it was a bit miserable. I'm sorry to be a little bit blunt and negative, but I, I honestly hated watching that draft. 2020. It's a, I mean, there, there's not much else we can say about the entire product of the NHL that we haven't already said. Is it's, It is what it is. It's at least it's happening. It's... Uh, it's it's weird. I mean, I'm there. There's two things that stuck out to me. Number one, there weren't many uh, technical issues. Uh, seeing players that were drafted but they were on delay, like they were watching a live stream that was 30 seconds behind, was kind of funny because it's like this guy is drafted, Dylan Holloway, for example, from Edmonton, and they cut to Dylan Holloway and his family and he's still staring there. And then like 20 seconds later, it's like, get there quicker, get there quicker. <laughs> and I think even one of the, one of the guys, I think it was Holloway. Um, I forget who was speaking on TV the whole time. It wasn't Bob McKenzie. It was one of the other guys. He was like, well, it, it seems like at this point, everybody knows that Holloway has been drafted except for Dylan Holloway. And we were waiting. And then it finally, like the reaction finally came. Uh, the second thing that stuck out to me, and I don't know why this was so it was so chilling and it was so fascinating and beautiful at the same time. Uh, kind of like a combination of all those emotions was while all of the players or most of the players you saw like these eruptions of like screams and excitement from the families. The very first draft pick was somebody who was in a hot spot in Quebec who nobody else from outside of the household was allowed in their house because of COVID-19 regulations in Quebec, obviously in Canada. And it was mom and dad and sister and the number one draft pick in the NHL. And it was just like this chilling moment where they were kind of, it felt like this kid was locked in a house with his family, kind of like there was a tornado and they were hiding down below and they were just there together with nobody else. And they kind of like clapped together, hugged each other. And it was this chilling but kind of fascinating but kind of beautiful moment. It was surreal to watch that the first overall draft pick not only didn't get his big moment on the stage, but he was the one guy who was in Quebec uh, dealing with these COVID-19 regulations and rules where he was sort of in, in this very fascinating moment. Yeah, it looked like a, a picture from a haunted scene. You know, if that same yeah. image was 100 years ago and it was an old school looking picture, it would be a little bone chilling, I would say. It looked like a haunted scene. Before we get too deep into the draft, though, of course, our whole podcast last week was 
kind of directed towards free agency. And now we've kind of learned a lot more about what the Avalanche are planning to do. And I'm a little bit less excited about free agency than I was before. I, I guess for starters, I'm not sure why we ever thought, uh, you know, Kroenke was going to allow an aggressive style of management here during a pandemic and, and hopefully spending a bunch of money on free agents. But it sounds like they're not going to be as aggressive as we liked them to be. I understand why you're saying that, and I understand it because um, of what Joe Sackick said. But I just find it hard to believe that somebody like Joe Sackick would come out and and say exactly what he's going to do. So when Patrick Waugh came out in 2013 and said, we're not taking the defenseman, we're taking one of the forwards, and then suddenly came out and said, we're taking Nathan McKinnon. And again, the defenseman being Seth Jodes and the forward being Barkov, McKinnon, and Druan. That's not the way Joe Sackick does things. So even, you know, the way we've been kind of trying to read that cryptic message the last few days of, well, or the last few weeks of Sackick said, we're going to roll with Grubauer and Francis and he's comfortable with that. And even Elliot Friedman's like, I know Joe Sackick said this, but I don't buy it. So it's one of those things with the goalie situation where it's like, let me not get everybody's hopes up that we're going to land a Holtby or a Flurry or, or Markstrom or whoever it may be. Just in case we don't, I'm still confident, rightfully so, with Grubauer and Francis. And I think it's the same way with the free agent market. When you have a team as good as the Avalanche and you have a couple contracts to re-sign, I mean, the math does add up that you can go out and pick up a Krug or a Petrangelo or a Taylor Hall and still re-sign Graves and still re-sign even if you wanted to bring back Zadorov and even if uh, you re-sign Burakovsky and you re-sign Jost and even if you bring back Nichushkin too, the math still adds up where you can add a big name. But you don't want to set that standard. So you go into free agency with the standard of we're not really going to do much. And then you come out of free agency and say, oh, well, an opportunity came up that Taylor Hall was available and we did it and we got him. But if they don't get Taylor Hall, rightfully so, this team is still in a good position. And rightfully, Joe Joe Sackett can come out and say, well, I told you I wasn't going to make any big moves. So that's kind of the thing is I, I get why your 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 excitement levels have gone down but Joe Sackick has never struck me as the kind of guy that's going to play his hand or show his hand before playing it it's not just the comments of Joe Sackick it's kind of what I said there after um which I've had a, a bit of time to think about and it just the, the light bulb went off in my head like yeah why would Kroenke allow we already kind of accuse him of being you know quote-unquote cheap in the past why would all of a sudden in a pandemic, why would that change? You know, especially now more than ever, considering the the landscape of the world. So that's just why I'm suddenly on the other side of the fence of this. I just don't think that they are going to be doing much uh, acquiring, and and I think Joe Sakic is being truthful here. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that, and I, I again, it's just it's one of those things where it's hard to read. It wouldn't surprise me if the Avalanche don't make any big moves. Uh, if they come out of this, you know, maybe signing a Mike Hoffman for one year at four and a half million or something like that, or Evgeny Dadanov, or apparently those are two Florida Panthers guys for whatever reason. But it wouldn't surprise me if they just did something like that. It also wouldn't surprise me if they went out and got Taylor Hall or Petrangelo or Krug or were, you know, part of the, the, the race, you know. Last year, they didn't get Panarin, but it's well documented that Joe Sackick was aggressive in one of the final two teams with the Rangers in acquiring the Hart Trophy candidate. So it it sort of wouldn't surprise me either way. It's hard to read. Um, and I guess at this point, all we're going to have to do is wait exactly 12, 24, 36 hours, 37 hours and find out what happens. 
Now let's start to get a little bit more into the draft. Before we do, I want to write off the the tales of what I was saying negatively about the draft, how I kind of hated watching it. I just, I've never been one to get too amped into drafts. I mean, you look at the Avs last two drafts before this year, and we've seen one player from the two combined. You look at the last four drafts, we've seen six players. So I know you're on the opposite side of me as that. Why Why do you get so excited about time like this in the draft, whereas I don't? I guess it's harder to get excited for it now. I mean, I get excited for it just from, an, an, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, the NHL, the draft is the opening of silly season. It's when the crazies, crazy stuff begins. It's when the trades start to come down, you know, and, and I, I get excited when I hear we have a trade to announce. Granted, Twitter has ruined that. Um, but I get excited when I see new trades. I get excited seeing Matt Murray was traded to Ottawa and Max Domi was traded to the Blue Jackets and all these trades coming down one by one. Hell, I got excited seeing the Leas Anderson trade because it was like, whoa, this is what the value is of a former seventh overall pick that really hasn't amounted to much. And the value was a 60th overall pick in the third ra- in the second round, late in the second round. Um, so I get excited for that. And, and, and I guess the reason why the draft, on the other hand, is not as exciting as it used to be is because for the last 10 years, the draft for the Avalanche has been Duchesne and Landeskog and McKinnon and Makar and uh, Tyson Jost and Miko Rantanen. There's a, there's a similar, and Kale Makar, uh, sorry, and Bowen Byram. And there's something that's similar that of, of all those guys I just listed is they're all top 10 picks. I don't think the Avalanche are going to be picking in the top 10 anytime soon. So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's not as exciting. I mean, think about it this way. Connor Timmins was a 31st or 32nd overall draft pick. Uh, I can't remember if that was the year Vegas was around, but he was a 31 or 32 overall pick. That was our second pick that draft, and that was only six spots after Justin Barron, the first-round draft pick this year. And if the Avalanche win the Cup next year, it'll be a 31, or if they make the finals, a 30, or if they make the final four, 28-29. So it's hard to be as excited from an Avalanche standpoint for good reason because your team is finally good. But in the NHL, in the grand scheme of things, the draft is like the beginning of the floodgates of what's to come. Well, getting a little deeper into the Avalanche draft before we go into the individual picks this year, let's just start with this. I mean, they went very forward heavy with their picks. They were supposed to have six, ended up with five, and four of those were forwards. They've got one defenseman and zero goalies. And of those four forwards, three of them are centers. What's your takeaway from kind of that draft strategy for this year? I'm going to go based off of what Joe Sackick said yesterday, which is Tuesday after we had spoken with him and Justin Barron, the first round draft pick, is the Avalanche are in the game to draft the best available player. And I feel like that's what they did, you know, through and through. Um, And that's what they've been doing for the past few years. It's not about going out and acquiring a specific asset. It's about going out there and acquiring the best player available. Uh, If you need to trade up to do that, so be it. It's obviously the best player available is, 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 is relative to your list and the list that Alan Heppel and his staff has put together. So I think it just so happens that this year you had a lot of North American skaters and one European and you had a lot of centermen and a lot of forwards. Uh, and it just so happened to be that way. And, you know, it's it's easier to do that when you're a good team. When you're a good team, it's easier to go out there and say, let's just keep restocking the pipeline with whatever the best player available it is. And, you know, next man up every single time we lose a guy like Tampa Bay now, you lose a guy to, ca- to cap casualties. It's just next man up, next man up, and so on and so forth. 
I think there's a bit more of a method to their madness in that regard. Uh, obviously, we knew, I, t- I said it a couple times on our previous podcast, that the Avalanche are set on defense right now. They don't really need to pay too much attention. So, yeah, they went with the f- best player available in the first round. But then I think after that, they said, let's go forward heavy. Let's make sure we're just trying to build that pipeline of guys that could potentially make it. And another trend... I did my homework before this podcast, Arif. Another trend that I noticed that I think there has some sort of uh, something to it is that this is the second draft in a row for Colorado where no Russians were picked, whereas mm-hmm. the previous four, there were seven Russians picked, and all seven of those guys are nowhere to be found around the Colorado organization right now. So I'm wondering if they're kind of starting to lean away from trusting the Russian scouts as much as they had in the past. Yeah, I, I've i noticed that as well. And, you know, Zhirailov, I believe his name was pronounced, and, and Shumakov, the goaltender we talked about the other day, and there were some higher up in the draft as well. Um, look, the reality is about the Avalanche, and this is kind of the, the, the negativity side of this podcast, is they are not a good drafting team. Players outside of the first round do not amount to much from the Avalanche organization. And it happens every single year. When Cam Morrison was drafted, he was this big name that led to nothing. When Nicholas Malosh and AJ Greer were taken 38th and 39th, it was, oh my God, this is awesome. And that amounted to nothing. Uh, You have to go way back to Tyson Berry for the last guy that was outside of the first or second round um, that amounted to much. And the two guys in the second round that have let you know have had great you know great careers. One of them is Ryan O'Reilly, was taken thirty third overall, and it was a steal of epic proportions. Uh, and the second one is a guy that just barely has scratched the surface of his career. And Connor Timmins, who we're expecting yet still could be a bust, we're expecting him to be uh, a big name. And I'm pretty sure it was thirty second overall. Um, the Avalanche don't come out with third and fourth round draft picks like Braden Point. They don't come out with seventh round draft picks like Pavelski it doesn't amount to anything and um calvin pickard was a was a third rounder and we know we were excited about him for about four days and then that disappeared and he was taken in the expansion draft and then his career just went to hell after that now we have this goaltender named justice uh justice anunin who we're we're talking a lot about and i'm very excited about but again and he was a third round draft pick and again but again it's let's make sure he develops first Ultimately, this Avalanche team was built off of top 10 draft picks or the acquisitions brought in from those top 10 draft picks. So you have Zadorov and Comfer that came from the Ryan O'Reilly draft, uh, trade. You have the Matt Duchesne trade, which is the gift that keeps, keeps on giving. Uh, fun fact, Justice Enunin was part of that Matt Duchesne trade. Um, this is why the Avalanche of all teams, when Edmonton traded two second round draft picks for Andreas Athanasiu, I said, yeah, that's a little steep because those two second-round draft picks could maybe become something. When the Avalanche traded a second and a third for Andre Burakovsky, I said, you know what? At least we know Burakovsky is a player. The second and the third, if this team drafts them, are probably not going to be players. So so be it. Be gone with the draft picks. That's just the way I am with the Avalanche is, is draft strategy. And until something proves otherwise, that's just a feeling that I have. Outside of the first round, I lose interest because they're just not good at drafting or developing outside of that first round. Well, let's get into that first round pick with the 25th overall. The Avs did take Justin Barron, a defenseman. It's a decent pick. Um, I think what they went with, like I said, was the best player player available. I think they saw him kind of slide down and said, hey, this might be our best option. But I like it because he's a bigger body, right? He's 6'2", just under 200 pounds. You know, I'm fine with that. I've wanted a guy with size. Yeah. I didn't think they needed to help the defenseman uh, side of things, but I, I didn't love the pick, but I'm okay with it. 
Yeah, I mean, Joe Sakic said it best. It's we're here to take the best player available. And it just so happens that three of the last four years, that's been a defenseman. So you had Kel McCarr and Bowen Byram and now this guy. And, you know, that's a good thing, as Joe Sakic said. That's a good thing because you build teams with... Teams with strong defense are the teams that win championships. And if you end up having a strong defense and you need to move one or two bodies out, then you're going to acquire a ton for them. People love to trade for a defenseman and they love to pay a hefty price for a defenseman. Just look at Nashville when they had Seth Jones and they had Shea Weber and then P.K. Subban and then Ryan Ellis and now Eckholm and Roman Yossi and Dan Hamhus and Ryan Suter. You get the point. They're, they're churning out all of these defensemen and they just keep coming and nobody's ever going to complain about that. Uh, what I like about Justin Barron compared to the other guys the Avalanche has drafted is the fact that not only does he have the size, he is known as a two-way player. He's known as a shutdown defenseman that plays on the penalty kill. But above all of that, he is known. <coughs> excuse me. He is known for being an exceptional skater and a quick skater, and it seems like he fits the mold for what the Avalanche want. Obviously, he's a twenty-fourth, twenty-fifth overall pick. He was like the fifth or sixth defenseman taken in the draft, uh, if my math is correct. He may or may not lead to anything. He may not even be, you know, a player in the NHL. But I like the pick just from like a, an, an overall st- uh, point of view. I, I like what the Avalanche did with that pick considering it was a 25th overall pick. And ultimately, whoever you take there is not necessarily a sure thing. A couple things that stood out to me on Justin Barron was the fact that he does have a good amount of points to his name. However, a lot of they're very assist heavy. So he, he likes to pass. He I'm sure he also plays a lot of power play. Um, but this is to no, nobody's surprise. He wore the C last year in Halifax. So, yep. um, you know, we know how much they love to add captains to this roster. But um, I also really like the fact he's played in President's Cup games. He's played for Team Canada. He's played in big games. He's no, he's no stranger to having the spotlight. And I really like a guy Memorial like Cup. that. Memorial Cup. Yeah, sorry. What did sorry. I say? I, I had to, I had, you said President's Cup. I had to correct oh. you. I think you're, you're a little... Uh... I like when you correct me because I ramble a lot. My... I just let words fall out of my brain. Yeah, no worries. I think I think your mind's a little too connected to the to the presidential election debate. So is that going on? I'll use that as an ex. Well, it's the vice president debate. I mean, I'd rather be here than listening to that horror show. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm gonna use that as an excuse for you, just so that okay. people don't blow up your Twitter <laughs> with what the hell is a president's, especially our Canadian listeners. God bless them. I mean, you just called the Memorial Cup the President's Cup, and they're coming after you for that one. Well, it wasn't on purpose. It's just a, a brain fart. So, but yeah, I, I mean, there's a couple guys I thought that they w- that would have fit in fit nicely. I would really like the idea of uh, Paterka. I know you kind of talked to our guy Tony Ferrari about him, and I was kind of fingers crossed for your sake because hey, that would make us look really good if you called Paterka coming. But I also like the idea of yeah. Jake Neighbors, who I think got picked right after by St. Louis. He was kind of the heavy um, forward that I was hoping for but like i said i'm okay with the baron pick not loving it okay with it though just because of his size yeah i there there was a lot of players that i started to get excited for and 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 paterka was one of them just because of the amount uh just because of the scouting report that tony had given us on those guys and you know justin baron was nowhere on that list nowhere to be found um so it, it was kind of uninspiring because of that because I didn't really know much about this kid before and I quickly hit up the Google search and the hockey DB and the elite prospects trying to figure out who this kid is that the, kid is that the avalanche took so I guess that's the main reason behind it but you know like we've said so many times before and I like when journalists uh, go out of their way to admit this because the reality is a lot of reporters a lot of journalists and beat writers 
we just don't know these prospects like we would as NFL and NBA uh, journalists. Because the reality is the college hockey, the, the, the college football and the college basketball game is a much stronger game than the college hockey game. And a majority of the NHL prospects don't even come from college hockey. They come from junior hockey, and we just don't watch them. We don't know them. There's a select few people that actually do. And that's why we, we went out of our way to have somebody like Tony on is because he nerds out over something that we know nothing about. We nerd out over completely different hockey-related things. So... While I, it was uninspiring because I had no idea what just who Justin Barron was, uh, it was still nice to see that Joe Sackett kind of brought someone, like we said, with size and, and skill and penalty-killing capabilities of a strong shot from the point. And above all of that is also someone who's an exceptional skater. Uh, it's, it's a little funny because about... It actually was 10 years ago now. 10 years ago, uh, I was watching the NHL draft and I had all these guys in my head of the Avalanche are going to say A, B, C, D. One of these names are going to be announced. And Greg Hishin goes, uh, and uh, Greg Sherman goes up there and goes, the Avalanche select Joey Hishin. And my brain scrambled into who? And that's kind of how I felt yesterday. Not as much to the level of Joey Hishin because that name just sounds funny at the same time. Uh, but that's kind of how I felt yesterday because we had talked about all these names and none of them were taken. I mean, you even see it at the highest and highest of levels. You saw when Columbus made their pick yesterday uh, in that the first round with Chinakov. Yeah, the, the entire Sportsnet crews left stumped just looking around at each other like, what, who? I don't have any notes on this guy. So it even yeah. happens with the, with the pros. And I think even Bob McKenzie showed his hand a bit yesterday during the draft, admitting that he, he doesn't really watch these guys. What he does is he talks to all the other scouts out there and puts together reports from what he hears from the scouts it's not like he's out there watching these guys personally yeah, and he's the guy sure. we lean on the most for for i guess you know the the draft rankings so yeah it's it's impossible to keep tabs on all these guys that's why we do the best we can we talk about notes that we can and that's uh you know i was just a little bit disappointed that we can't say the name paterka for the next what 10 years paterka paterka that'd be yeah that'd be a fun i mean, I, I loved his name what is it john jason or yeah not to mention another john jj Jacob, in town Jingle, would be great hyman schmidt uh <laughs> That, that like, I loved his name, and I loved the I loved the idea of having a star German forward on the Avalanche, when he was taken. I forget when he was taken because it was early in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right away, Craig Button said the the best similarity to this guy is Matt Duchesne, and I'm like, damn. <laughs> that's, I mean, we love to joke about Matt Duchesne, but damn, that's that's not a bad comparison. That's just an electric player, kind of you know, kind of forward and. And just the idea of having a strong German player on the team just sort of enticed me because I love I love having a mixture of a locker room. I love the idea. I love the fact that the Avalanche have a Swedish captain and their their star centerman is Canadian, their star defenseman is Canadian, their goalie is German, their other goalie is from the Czech Republic. Mikko Ranton is from Finland. Andre Burakovsky is Austrian born, but he's also Sweden. You have a Russian defenseman. You used to have a Russian. I love that mixture. And you know we have some Americans on the team and Eric Johnson and so on. So, I. Uh, I really like the idea of having a German on the team for that reason, uh, obviously, other than Grubauer. Uh, but yeah, I was a little let down that they didn't get that guy. Well, this might be the last time we say this name on the podcast, so I'm going to get it out of my system. Paterka. Paterka. <laughs> uh, keeping with the fun names, the Avalanche second pick, third rounder, 75th overall, Jean-Luc Foudy. What stood out to me uh, with this pick was just the fact that he's the little brother of Columbus's uh, Liam, Liam Foodie. And I, I just wanted to get into that whole concept. It seems like 
the little brother or just brothers in the NHL are a very common theme. Not just brothers, but we see it a lot with sons. You have to have the NBA or the NHL bloodline. Um, but you know the the brother pairings. Does that strike you as odd? Is that cool to you? I mean, I don't I don't see that happening too often in any other sports, really. No, it doesn't happen in in other sports as much as it does in the NHL. When it does happen in other sports, you hear about it all the time, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'm not even going to pretend to remember what his younger brother's name is, uh, or, or Steph Curry and his younger brother. Uh, because it doesn't happen as often, it's a big story in the NHL. We, you know, we just went through a generation of watching the Sedins play, and those are just one of many relevant names. You know, last week we had two Stahl brothers traded in separate trades, and it was like, oh, it's just another, you know, ho hum day. Two brothers were traded in the same week. Uh, so yeah, Liam Foodie, and you have Jean Luc Foodie. Obviously, the Kachuk brothers is another example of this. Uh, and I'm going to use the Kachuk brothers as an as a comparison. Uh, it's always interesting to me that the younger brother dynamic, that younger brother always has a lot more fight and bite to his game. Uh, we see it with Brady Kachuk compared to Matthew Kachuk. Um, and, you know, when Matthew got drafted, we didn't think it was possible for someone to have more bite than that guy. And lo and behold, here comes uh, Brady in Ottawa doing what Matthew does uh, with a little more craziness, crazy Kachuk craziness. <laughs> and, uh, you have Ryan O'Reilly, who was the younger brother of Cal O'Reilly, came out and had a lot more bite to his game and won a Stanley Cup and a Conn Smythe. You had Paul Stastny, who was the younger brother of Jan Stastny, who I don't know if you listen to Cam Jansen's podcast, but he always says growing up, Jan Stastny in St. Louis was the best player he played with as a teenager. He was the absolute best player, and his career was nothing compared to Paul Stastny, who's still in the NHL. So... Something about that younger brother dynamic, they always seem to have more bite to their game. Uh, and that's let me throw out a theory. Let's hear it. All right. Hockey, hockey is the hardest sport to practice. You can only do it within your hour slot that you're allotted for your team's two, three week practice, right? You have to go home and you have to do it yourself some more. And, you know, football players, they can stay in the gym, they can go to a park, they could stay with their team on the field, what have you. In hockey, you have to go home and you have to practice. And when you're practicing in the basement, in the driveway, in the street, in the backyard, whatever it is, and you're playing with each other, then you're going to elevate each other's game. Because in hockey, that's your only option to, to do is either play with your team in the, the small allotted time that you are given or go home and practice. And that's where you're going to really put in the most work because you have unlimited time to do so there. So in just growing up and being brothers and always playing and that's the thing about hockey you love it so much that you want to go home and do it some more I think that's where that really stems from you have the older brother be great and lead the way but the younger ones follow and, and in practicing against each other really sharpen each other up right Our iron sharpens iron yeah I, I that's a great concept and that's a great theory and it's it's also more prevalent when you look at the Stahl brothers because there was four of them. Granted, Jared, I don't know what the hell they were he was doing when they were playing because he clearly missed something. Maybe he was... He wanted to be the ref. Yeah, he wanted to be the ref or he was always the one that's like, fine, I'll play goalie even though I don't want to and you guys can all shoot on me. And then, you know, five years of development later, he's like, shit, I don't know how to shoot a puck uh, because his <laughs> brothers, Mark and Eric and Jordan are all... Are they all Stanley Cup champions? No, Mark is not a Stanley Cup champion, but Jordan and Eric are Stanley Cup champions. They've all been NHL All-Stars. They've all had great careers. Uh, God bless you, Mark. You got to move and play with the Detroit Red Wings now. Um, I know a place in Detroit if you're looking to live, but it's not really a franchise that's going to win anytime soon, so he may or may not win a Stanley Cup anytime soon unless he's traded. But 
I, I, I like that theory and I, I like the idea that it's always like everything else in life. When you're the younger brother, you watch the older brother and you can learn what he does correctly and what he does incorrectly and apply that trade to your game. And, uh, you know, we're throwing out all of this talk about the younger brother being better than the older brother. And Liam Foody, if he's listening to this, I mean, I'm sure he's listening to Hockey Mountain. Oh, of course he's listening. Why wouldn't he? And he's just sitting there like, who the hell are these guys? They don't know anything about me. Well, let me tell you about Liam Foody. He was a first round draft pick in 2018. So he's a high draft pick from Scarborough, Ontario, picked 18th overall by the Blue Jackets. He started his career with the Blue Jackets this year. He played two games in the regular season and had one assist. And then he had a bigger role in the playoffs. He played 10 games and had a goal and an assist for two points. Obviously, he didn't have much of a role, but he will this year. Um, he's supposed to have a lot of offensive uh, skill, and he will be a, a, a great player for the Blue Jackets. Again, he was taken 18th overall, younger brother, uh, Jean-Luc, 75th. So... You know, we'll have to wait and see just how good Jean-Luc Foudy is. He's a small player. He plays in Windsor, Ontario. Shout out to Windsor and Tony Ferrari. Probably lives right down the street from him, so he probably knows a lot more about him. Um, but I, I do like that concept and that theory. Uh, I like the point you brought up about playing in Windsor, and that's what kind of makes me comfortable with this pick. I mean, we've heard from a lot of the experts that this guy's kind of a gamble. He's got a lot of upside. He's a fast player. He's got some offense to his game. I mean, he, he's got 92 points in 122 OHL games. Again, very assist-heavy, though, almost 1-3 to assist-to-goal ratio there. He's little, though. He's about 5'11", 177 pounds, actually my exact measurements um, but the fact that he played in the OHL and in Windsor tells me you know I think that's a very heavily scouted team a very heavily scouted league a very heavily scouted region I think you got to trust in the Avs scouts to really have their finger on the pulse of this guy and just believe that hey it might be a gamble but this might be one that pays off down the road yeah and Windsor has had a great program down there for quite a while Taylor Hall actually came out of Windsor and Jack Campbell was the goalie when uh, Taylor Hall was there and Zach Cassian was on that team, and they won Memorial Cups, and they recently won Memorial Cup with Mikhail Sergachev on the team. So they've always built a great program. At one point, Bob Bugner used to coach that team. He's now the coach of the San Jose Sharks, coached the Florida Panthers, used to play for the Avalanche back in 2006, if you can remember that far. Uh, and Warren Reichel, another former Av, I don't know if he's still the GM, but he used to be the GM and owner of the Windsor Spitfires. He may still be in that role. I probably should have looked that up before throwing that out. But Warren Reichel, another former Avon, they have a good program there. And I, I like this, you know, I like the gamble because why the hell not? It's a 75th overall pick. You're a team that's not good at drafting. Why not go for a high for a high reward? I mean, the risk is low anyway. You you never develop anybody, so may as well try to really shoot for the stars and take somebody 75th overall, which, you know, the guy that just went second place in the Smythe Trophy voting, Braden Point, was selected in the 70s as well. So why not go for that? Yeah, and as an 18-year-old, you know, you hope he really develops physically and, and, you know, puts on some muscle, gains some speed to an already fast guy. So you can only hope that his ceiling is, is still pretty far away, but that, you know, that they made a, a strong pick that might turn out to be somebody you know it's a little bit hard to, to predict now since he did go so deep uh in in the draft but you know a gamble is a gamble and sometimes it pays off and that's why sometimes we gamble don't we Arif? we gamble on DraftKings sportsbook and guess what i'll start it off with this i won some money on the nhl draft i picked uh, quentin byfield to go second through 15 bucks on him 
won a cool 30. Look at me. You filthy, filthy degenerate. I love it. I'm rich. So while we take that pause for DraftKings, I got to remind you that week four of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week five. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of Week 5, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. On top of that great sign-up offer, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. Don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all you basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's promo code MHS to get sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And I got to say, you know, I apologize to Jean-Luc Foodie and to older brother Liam Foodie, who is still 20 years old. Uh, because you must be 21 or older, so you guys just missed the cut. Oh, ouch for them! But hey, we don't want them gambling because that's when you know dirty things start to get involved. You get Pete Rose and you know NBA refs, those type of stories, which you don't want. So moving on, let's get to the third pick, fourth round, 118 overall for the Colorado Avalanche. That's Colby Ambrosio. I hope I pronounced that uh, correctly, but. Obviously, I'm not going to pretend I sit here and know a lot about this guy, but what I do know is that he comes out of the USHL, and that's what makes me a little nervous. And you go back in the Avs' history of drafts, and the Avs have never drafted anyone worth a damn from the from the USHL. I mean, you can go back— Has anybody? To, that, that's a great point. I mean, Will Butcher— was out of the USHL, so that was a good pick, but we know how that well, panned out for Colorado. You can go well, back to— Will Butcher, who's that? <laughs> I, go, I've erased that part of the avalanche history out of my memory. Right. I mean, it wasn't a complete loss. It was basically a, a kerfoot for butcher trade. But yeah. you can go back to Brad Malone, who made somewhat of an impact in the NHL yeah. for a couple years, all the way to 2007. But other than that, nobody nobody from the USHL has been worth anything. You brought up Cam Morrison earlier. We know how that ended. He started in the USHL, mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame. So I'm a little bit nervous about these USHL picks. And not only that, the Az got two of them this year. Yeah, it looks like for whatever reason, maybe it was because they were cutting budget cuts because of the pandemic that was to come two months later. But it looks like the Avalanche didn't really put much time into their European scouting or uh, anywhere else because not only did they take two guys in Colby Ambrosio and Ryder Rolston, that's such a hockey name, Ryder Rolston. Jeez. Not only did they uh, take two guys from the USHL, but for Ryder's case at 139th overall, they traded up to select him. So for whatever reason, that kid playing in Waterloo was someone that was on their radar and someone that they felt the need to trade a uh, an extra draft pick to go 11 spots up or nine spots up from 148 to 139. So I don't know. I don't know what has enticed them to take two guys from the USHL, but like I said, in the fourth and fifth round. 
and the Avalanche's draft history. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because I feel like even if they took a kid from Windsor or the London Knights at this point, I just don't have much confidence that they're going to develop anybody outside of the top 35 picks in the draft. I think you got to feel a little bit good about Ambrosio um, just because he's a goal scorer. I mean, he was fifth in the USHL in goals, 26 goals, 24 assists in 48 games last season. I mean, that's a lot of goals and more goals than assists. So he's shooting the puck. He's not looking to pass first. He's a shooter. But at 5'8", 170 pounds he's he strikes me as you know it sounds just like one of those guys that unfortunately gets stuck in the AHL because he's just not that big he sounds like a bit of a bowling ball at 170 pounds 5'8 but I mean he it sounds kind of like a Rocco Grimaldi type player right I mean of course Rocco Grimaldi's carving out a decent fourth line NHL career these last couple years um with Nashville but he just strikes me as one of those guys that's gonna be just get stuck in the AHL and and might not be able to get out of there purely because of his size. I mean, at this point, even if that's if even if he gets that's if he even gets to the AHL, damn, I'm just tripping on my words today. It's late and the draft went for about 17 hours longer than I thought it would. Uh, but yeah, that's if he even makes it that far. Um, I don't know. I. The Avalanche obviously see something with these two guys from the USHL. I'm not going to pretend to know what they do. Like I said, it's 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 great that NHL reporters are finally coming around to the idea of admitting that we don't know as much about these prospects as we think we do. Uh, I just said 20 minutes ago that I was bummed that the Avalanche didn't take a specific guy because a guest on our podcast talked him up and didn't talk up Justin Barron when, you know, had he mentioned Justin Barron's name once or twice, for whatever reason, had he come up in conversation, I would have probably been like, Oh, hell yeah. I know who the Avs just took, but there was no excitement for me because I didn't hear his name. That's my level of knowing these prospects. So it is what it is, but, uh, I do know the next guy they took is from Sweden, and that's interesting because they waited till the very last pick to take someone from the Europe from the European scouts. Right? Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves, there. If we're still on we're still on Colby Ambrosio. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to and touch Ryder. on with him is that uh, he's going to Boston College. So you know, obviously they see something in him. Boston College isn't just a push around program. They they really take things seriously and they want to win. So I think if Boston College is recruiting him, there's something special about him. We just got to see how these next few years develop him in the NCAA. But here we go again, uh, hoping the NCAA develops our guys right. Yeah, and I don't want to make a fool of myself, so I hope I'm right. But correct me if I'm wrong. Boston College is where Alex Newhook and Drew Hellison play, right? Right. Right. Okay. Good. So yeah, there's another guy from the Avalanche's prospect pool that's going to be playing on on uh, with with Boston College. Now you did get into Ryder Ralston a little bit. A couple things I just wanted to touch on with that pick was just the fact that you mentioned they moved up to pick him, and they only moved up about ten spots. Uh, I find that a little bit strange considering it's a fifth rounder. Do you? So let, let's let's kind of get into that thought process from the avalanche why move up there uh why do you think they wanted to jump 10 spots did they really want this guy so badly that they thought hey we got to make this move now to get our guy Ryder Ralston so I think something that's interesting to always look at is the value of a draft pick um in the sense where uh if you're selecting in the top 10 you're in the top three your draft pick is a lot more valuable than a top 10 and then once it gets to about 18 or 19 through 40 your pick ultimately has the same value and then once you go from 40 to 80 or whatever that number is your pick has even less value and so on and so on and so on so when you get to 140 and 130 you know around where the avalanche had a pick and where they traded up to to select Ryder Rolston 
God, I love that name. Uh, it gets to the point where, you know, the Avalanche gave up, I believe, a seventh-round draft pick in order to go up 11 spots or 10 spots or whatever it was, 149 to 139. Um, at that point, if there's somebody on the board that you like, uh, it's worth getting rid of a seventh-rounder. It's not necessarily a huge deal. There's no issue with getting rid of that seventh-rounder. It's not like you're giving up much value, but at the same time, if you wait till 149 and the guy you want is not there, being Ryder Rolston, uh, you might end up selecting someone that you know nothing about. So uh, the way that I see it, it's who cares if you're, you know, it's not like they traded picks 22 and, and, and 27 for 18. And you're like, well, was it worth giving up the 27th pick to go up from 22 to 18? Because that's a hefty price. No, it's way down in the hundreds where there's a player on your radar that you want to pick. And if he's not going to be there in 10 picks, you're not even going to get him. So it's not a huge deal to me. I don't find an issue with that. That's kind of why I'm a little bit more confident in Ryder than I am with uh, Colby is because the Avalanche saw something in him that was so important that they had to say, that was so big that they said, we need to move up 10 spots because we don't want anybody in between us to take this kid before we can get our hands on him. Right. It seems like he's a goal scorer as well. Again, he's a USHL guy, so we got to take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, he gets more goals than assists, which I like. I like those aggressive, the opposite of Alex Kerfoot, right? And uh, back to the bloodline conversation we had a little bit ago. He's the son of Brian Ralston, I found out today, which he was a part of the yeah. uh, Ray Bork trade. He came with yep. Ray Bork. So a uh, little bit of Avalanche Google history that. there. Um, yeah, I was going to Google that to see if that was the case. Um but hey, I mean, at, at least we're not Chris Draper or Jamie Langenbrenner <laughs> drafting our own sons to the organization we play for. Yeah, I just got to assume he was pretty high on their list. If uh, you know, if they maybe said, "Oh, wow, he's still available at 139. We got to get him here." So um, yeah, he's heading to Notre Dame again. Another NCAA. Notre Dame hasn't been good to Avalanche draft picks in recent years. So we'll see how this one pans out. But it is what it is, right? Notre Dame, <laughs> go blue. <laughs> Um, all right, and that brings us to the f the final pick, who you almost tried to uh, talk about early, and that's the sixth round, Niels Aman. Now, again, since we didn't know much about the Euro or about the USHL guys, how are we going to know much about Euro guys? So they had to trust the scouts on this one. I'm sure the Avs probably said, you know, it's the last pick. We kind of ran out. We've we've got the guys we wanted. This one's on you guys, Euro scouts. But it seems like it was a shot in the dark. Not too much information on this guy out there. Yeah, you, I can always, you know, I'm always down for a good Nils, Nils Ekman. Remember that name? Nils Aman. I mean, this is about all I can say about the kid is I don't know much about him. You know, the, the SHL is a great league. It's a Swedish league. Uh, you know, someone like the Red Wings actually picked nearly their entire draft from the SHL, starting with Lucas Raymond, fourth overall. Uh, so you can get some good players from the Swedish league. I almost feel more comfortable taking guys like this than I do guys in the USHL and in leagues like that because... The NHL just scouts around the league are often, you know, it's it's more readily available for them to watch games in North America than it is in Europe. Uh, and if you don't have, you know, a lot of teams don't have much of a European contingency of scouts. So if you do have that, you can go out there and t and select Diamond in the Roughs. And I hate to use Detroit as an example again because they, you know, slaughtered the Avalanche for so many years with Datsuk and Zetterberg and these guys that they got late and Johan Franzen who scored, I think. 37 goals on the avalanche in four games in 2008 or something like that uh they got all these guys late in the draft because they had such a strong swedish contingency of scouts where maybe that's what it takes so 
I, I, I don't mind this pick, and I think it's great that the Avalanche are dipping into the European pool. I just wish they had more confidence to do it higher up in the draft in the third and fourth and fifth round. Well, I like the point you made a little while ago where saying maybe it was just the, the fact that the year is what the year has been and they just were a little bit more, uh, I guess, prevented from scouting as much as they would yeah. like. And they had to yep. lean more on the North American side. Especially in March, April, late in the year. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, but you know, overall, how would you say you assess the draft as a whole from the Avalanche standpoint? I, I would say it's, you know, thumbs up because it's not as important as it has as it has needed to be in years past because your team is finally good and 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 that's that's good enough for me i have no issue i have no issue with the avalanche only having five picks because they traded a fourth rounder in the nemesnikov deal and they traded a second and a third uh well the third may have been last year but they traded or next year but they traded their second for burakovsky and you know, they have new hook and all these guys in the system already. So the fact that the draft is not, you know, we're not Ottawa and Detroit reshaping their rosters today uh, and, and doing a wonderful job at that. We're not Montreal with 12 picks. We're not Toronto trying to trade into the first round because they needed uh, more prospects to offset the big contracts that they have among the top players on their team. It was just, you know, ho-hum, let's take the guys with the picks that we have and move on because we have bigger things to worry about. And and it's, it's refreshing to see that because the avalanche haven't been in the position like that in nearly 20 years. Yeah. Other than my complaint from the top of the show of having to wait 24 picks till the avalanche and have to watch that entire zoom draft and then wait another 50 picks for their second pick. Um, it's a small price to pay for having a good team, right? I mean, they don't need to focus on this draft. They don't have high picks. They don't have seven, eight, nine picks this year because they simply just don't need them. And it's just, it's a good spot to be in. Yeah, and, and the last thing I want to say on the draft before we move on, uh, this is a special moment. I'd like everybody to look this up on Twitter if you haven't already. The San Jose Sharks at 31st overall took Ozzy Weisblatt. Uh, hell of a name, but it was great to see, and, and this was one of my favorite parts of Zoom, because Doug Wilson went up there and said, we're selecting Ozzy Weisblatt, and before he said the name Ozzy, he hand-signed the name. He he He... He basically recited the name in, in, in sign language or, or signed the name in sign language. And the reason why he did that is because sitting right beside Ozzy on the couch in their home was his mother, who is deaf. And that was one of the cool special moments that inside the arena probably wouldn't have been as prevalent. Because even if Doug Wilson did that, his mother sitting all the way up in the crowd would not have been able to get the same view as, right now I'm watching you on Skype, you're this big thing right on my laptop. Um and, and that's what Ozzy Weisblatt and his family were able to see from Doug Wilson. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the NHL draft. And I'm rooting for Ozzy to make it in the NHL and to be a big name, uh, even though it was the 31st overall pick, specifically for that reason. So shout out to Wilson out in San Jose, Doug Wilson. Uh, that was a great moment and, and my favorite highlight of the draft. Yeah, I love that. I must have completely missed that. Um, but that's a great little story. But a lot of great names are out there. In the sports world, I mean, I think there's a uh, uh, a football player. Is it? It's named Easton Stick. My my personal favorite, a soccer player out there named Daniel Drinkwater. There's just so many great sports names coming out lately. I love it. I'm here for it. I remember. I remember back back in 2014, there was a kid that was playing for the Brandon Wheat Kids, uh, Brandon Wheat Kings of the uh, in, of of the WHL. Yeah, Brandon Wheat Kings of the WHL, and his name was Brandon Wheaton. Wow. That couldn't be any better. Yeah. Well, here, here, literally, his parents 
created him with the goal in mind that he's going to play junior hockey yeah. for this team. Hopefully some more sweet names. I'm, I'm excited to see what the, what the future has to hold for more sweet sports names out there. But a big reason the Avalanche weren't so active in the draft and, and are a comfortable team because of where they're sitting right now is looking back at that Matt Duchesne trade. And I wanted to go over the news that happened this past week is the, that Kyle Turvis, Turris was waived by Nashville. Sorry, I got a little excited there. And it's just crazy to look back and think how, you know, Ottawa doesn't even have Duchesne. Nashville doesn't have Turris. And it, it's a landslide of a victory. <laughs> exactly. They, they didn't just win that trade. They absolutely pummeled them and left them black and blue and knocked them out in the second round. I'm going to come out and uh, give my hot take of the week. Maybe we can call this the new segment the hot take of the week my hot take for this week and if you agree with it please shout me out on twitter my hot take of this week is that the avalanche got more out of andrew hammond than the nashville predators did out of kyle Turris in a game where andrew hammond made made a bajillion saves and was the hamburglar himself against those very same nashville predators yeah it's hilarious if from the player's standpoint both duchene and Turris. They thought they were moving on to better situations. They thought that they were going to leave the, the team that they weren't happy with and go on to a great team and experience a bunch of success. Well, neither of those two guys are in a better situation. If anything, they're in much, much worse situations as Kyle Turris is on waivers and Matt Duchesne almost has half the city of Nashville hating him because he's Matt Duchesne. Be, yeah, he, he wanted to go to Nashville because he loves country music and now he's there and uh just to let you know, Matt Duchesne had two points less than Andre Burakovsky did this past hmm. season. The same Burakovsky who missed a bunch of games to injury and completely mopped the floor with Matt Duchesne's career playoff stats. Burakovsky hit that in one year with the Avalanche. Not to mention Burakovsky was a clutch in clutch moments. I mean, he he showed up in big games where that's the opposite of Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne's known to be completely invisible when you need him most. And Burakovsky was acquired for a second and third round draft pick. Duchesne was acquired for eight parts in the first trade. He was acquired for a couple of high prospects and a first round draft pick in the Columbus trade. And then he was acquired by the Nashville Predators for $64 million over eight over. No, sorry, $56 million over seven years. So the Avalanche made away like absolute gangbusters. Kyle Turris, you have to remember the Kyle Turris and Matt Duchesne deal with Joe Sackick and the Avs was a two-parter. And the first part was the Avalanche traded Duchesne to Ottawa for Kyle Turris, the draft pick that became Bowen Byram, Shane Bowers, who was their most recent first-rounder, Andrew Hammond, and a third-round draft pick. He acquired all of that for Matt Duchesne. And then Joe Sackick said, let me take Kyle Turris and flip him to Nashville. And he flipped him to Nashville for Vladislav Kamenev, who obviously hasn't turned out to much of anything, Sam Gerrard, who is a stud, and a second-round draft pick. A second-round draft pick that the Avalanche flipped for two more draft picks. And with those two picks, they selected Daniel Zhirailov, one of the Russians that you were talking about, and one goaltender named Justus Anunin, who may or may not be the long-term future goalie of the Colorado Avalanche. So right. just from the Kyle Turris portion, the Avalanche have a sure thing in Sam Gerrard and potentially their long-term goalie. And then that you know includes the fact that they still retain the rights of Vladislav Kamenev, whatever, who cares about that part. And then in the Ottawa trade, you still have Bowers in the system. You have Byram, who's about to become a stud. You had uh, the Hamburglar for a game. Uh, it's just it's it's a total highway robbery 
of a trade from both teams. Mm -hmm. At least Ottawa has been able to sort of resurrect itself and traded Eric Carlson for a draft pick that ended up being a top five pick and have now drafted Jake Sanderson and Tim Stutzla after acquiring Brunstrom, uh, Brandstrom, Eric Brandstrom from the Vegas Golden Knights after uh, drafting Thomas Shabbat and locking him up and after drafting Brady Kachuk and now trading for Matt Murray. Ottawa's on the rise. What the hell is Nashville doing? Yeah, I mean, Joe Sackick is still bearing fruits from the trade. Meanwhile, Ottawa lost Duchesne for nothing. Nashville waving tourists, so essentially losing him for nothing. So it's it's just crazy to see how it all worked out three years later. And they, and they got to pay him, and they got to pay him two million dollars in each of the next eight years. Oof, eight. That's not a good investment right there. But mm-hmm. elsewhere around the NHL, we got some movement in the gold. You want to add insult to injury? Sorry, I got to throw this out there. You want to add insult to injury? If you're Joe Sackett, go out and give Kyle Turris one year, one million, and bring him to Denver. Why the hell not, right? <laughs> just to sort of laugh in the face of the Nashville Predators and Matt Duchesne. Yeah, and then just keep, him, keep him scratched all year. Um, but yeah, getting into the, to the news around the NHL, uh, Matt Murray was on the move to, as we just mentioned, Ottawa Senators, who are doing a pretty good job of rebuilding. Deal. Love it. I absolutely love it. They're doing an exceptional job, and... Uh, They've completely flipped their team in the matter of 24 hours, starting with Tim Stutzla, defenseman Jake Sanderson out of the U.S. National Development Program, and then acquiring a 26-year-old goaltender that has two Stanley Cups for nothing more than a second-round draft pick it's, it, and, and, a def, and a prospect named Jonathan Gruden, not the Raiders coach, Broncos country, the other Jonathan Gruden. Uh, so they, they're turning their team around, and they had a couple more first-rounders and a bunch of more second-rounders. and. And they, uh, they, they've they done an exceptional job of turning around their team in 24 hours. And the Matt Murray acquisition is an exceptional one for that team. And I'm just glad they did it because if it wasn't them, it would have been Edmonton or Calgary, one of these teams in the Western Conference that uh, could have given the avalanche fits. But I like it for Ottawa. They deserve him. And it's a nice transition after a decade of Craig Anderson. I just think they deserve a ton of credit for how quickly they rebuilt that. Like you said, it was almost 24 hours. But even going back to the last year, they started a rebuild. That basically got two steps backwards once that Uber Uber cab confessions video yeah, came out. With all, it, you you suddenly thought, oh, man. Duchesne. He's in the center of everything. Yeah, you, you, you thought, oh, how is Ottawa going to rebound from this? And, you know, they've done a great job of all the miserable things that have happened to them the last couple of years. They've done a great job of just forgetting about him and having a short memory. And, and I think I'm really impressed and kind of excited to see what Ottawa has to put out on the ice this season. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, even though the Matt Duchesne trade, they had to kind of just uh, count their losses and trade him to the Blue Jackets for a first rounder. And I think Vitaly Abramov and another prospect, nothing crazy. Obviously, they got a first rounder, which is nice. But then they went out and they shipped out Mark Stone, which, you know, isn't, the best move for business, but they got back Eric Brandstrom, who's a big name young defenseman who could jump into the lineup along with Jake Sanderson and James Bernard Docker, who's playing with Sanderson in college, and uh, Thomas Shabbat, who's an $8 million defenseman that can put up 60 points. And then they went out and traded their second big trade was the Eric Carlson deal, and they got Josh Norris who was a first-round draft pick out of Michigan for the Sharks. Shout out, Michigan. Go Blue. Who has gone pro and has had a great seat. That's twice in one podcast, I know. Uh, Jim Harbaugh still sucks. Um, 
So they went out and brought in Josh Norris, who had a great college career, turned pro, had an exceptional time in the AHL, and is looking more and more like he might become a legit NHLer. And on top of that, they got the fifth overall pick, or the third overall pick, sorry, the one that they used to draft Tim Stutzla was part of the Eric Carlson trade. They got Rudolph Spelsers, who ended up being a decent player. Chris Tierney, who's ended up being a nice complement of a third-line shutdown centerman. So they went out and, and they made two deals that have kind of offset the losses that came from that Matt Duchesne deal. And shout out to them because they have the cheapest and worst owner in the NHL on all accounts. And I'm just hoping that when these players that they've drafted, ha- you know, begin to grow and develop like Thomas Shabbat, they actually give them the contracts they deserve because that's always been the the argument against Eugene Melnick is he develops players and then he trades them away. He once traded Mika Zibanejad for Kyle Turris because he didn't want to pay Zibanejad. And then when Turris's contract expired, he didn't want to trade. He didn't want to pay Turris, and that's what led to the madness that was the Matt Duchesne deal for Ottawa. It was because he wouldn't pay Turris. And while Craig Anderson has been adequate and fine, I think Matt Murray is a definite upgrade. A hell of a upgrade. Yeah, yes, exactly. So I think they really. Craig Anderson up. had yeah. Craig Anderson had that you know great, great season in 2017, and it was kind of lightning in a bottle and a very great story because Nicole Anderson, his wife, was uh, undergoing cancer treatment and eventually beat cancer because she's a total badass. And and Craig was just you know having a Cinderella story of a Stanley Cup run. Uh, that ended in second overtime of Game 7 of the third round against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Other than that, yeah. I mean, Matt Murray, in every sense of the word, is a upgrade on Craig Anderson. Sticking with goalies, it sounds like Henrik Lundqvist is definitely going to be a Washington Capital next season. And I am here for it. That is a great pickup. That is a great fit for both team and player. It was so weird for me, even when I was building the show and writing my notes, um, I noticed about 20 minutes later that I had written Lundquist to NYR because I'm just so used to it. It's just, just, it. just going to be one of those weird things like Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, right? Yeah, and uh, I'm going to throw this out there and then we'll get back on topic uh, because you said NYR. I saw somebody tweet out Alexis Lafrenyr, L-A-F-R-E-N-Y-R, and it's perfect because that's exactly how his name is pronounced. It's Lafrenyr, N-Y-R. Funny little thing there. Back to Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist on the Capitals would be an exceptional fit. And, you know, I'm going to wait for Friday for the confirmation before I say it's 100% happening. Uh, But Greg Wyshynski obviously tweeted that it's going to happen. And to everybody, Greg Wyshynski is a reputable source. To Gary Bettman, he's a so-called journalist. So I'm going to go ahead and pretend that uh, I'm going to go ahead and side with the majority that says he's a reputable source. And, uh, um, He's going to be a great pick there, a great fit there, because they have Ilya Samsonov, who's this young Russian netminder who may or may be ready to take over the crease, like the Russian that is the reason why Lundqvist is no longer with the Rangers, being Igor Shosturkin. Um But Samsonov is going to need someone to mentor him. The Rangers, the reason why he's he's gone is because number one, his salary was in the nine million dollar range, and number two, they have Georgiev. The Capitals don't have that. They are going to lose Braden Holby, and if Samsonov can't play 55, 60 games, you need somebody who can help them and develop him and, and be a re- a reasonable goalie for 25 to 35 games. And that's what Henrik Lundqvist can give you right now. It's just a perfect fit. And beyond all of that, beyond all the analytics and all of the stats, 
He is just a great person to have in the locker room. He is a leader. He's somebody that Alex Ovechkin is, uh, respects, somebody that Nicholas Backstrom, a fellow Swede, respects, somebody that that locker room desperately needs after going through the coaching changes that they've gone in recent years since winning the Cup, and somebody that Peter Laviolette is going to rely on a lot to be a leader in that locker room. I love the news of Henrik Lundqvist going to Washington for one big reason. Do you know what that is? Why is that? That means he's not coming to Colorado. That's the only reason. I, I don't want him here. I don't think he would have been a good idea. So if it, anybody yeah, else is going like to lock I him said, up, lock him up. Go for it. Yeah. It, just like I said last week, Lundqvist made sense at the deadline, given the fact that the Avalanche had been dealing with injury issues all year. And then a few months later when the playoffs began, they dealt with two more injuries to both guys. Uh, but no, in the summer when you have so many options, Lundqvist is not the guy you get. If for whatever reasons the Capitals crap out and decide they want to trade Lundqvist at the deadline and the Avalanche are again dealing with goalie issues, uh, then yeah, sure, maybe go out and trade a low draft pick for Lundqvist rather than Michael Hutchinson. Um, but he, I'm, I'm glad he's not coming here. It was not a good fit from the start. It didn't make sense. It does in Washington. I'm happy for him, the Capitals, and you know all of them, and especially for the Avs. Last thing I wanted to touch on um, on other news around the NHL that doesn't necessarily have to do directly with the Avalanche before we wrap it up with our three stars of the week, and that's that the Hockey Diversity Alliance announces that it will continue to work autonomously from the NHL as they weren't able to come to an agreement on basically breaking down systemic racism in the NHL. So are you a little disappointed in the NHL, or what's your take on that news? So, yeah, the Hockey Diversity Alliance basically – wanted the NHL to commit to a pledge where there was a lot of things that they were going to do in regards to hiring uh, people of color into high positions in the NHL and a certain percentage of their staff consisting of people of color and things like that and and you know helping bring hockey to to, to communities to black communities around the country and you know giving people of color and, and, and black kids the opportunity to play the sport of hockey uh, which is something that we desperately need because of the you know lack of diversity in a sense and the fact that hockey is just so ungodly expensive to play um it's unfortunate it's one of those things where i'm i'm i kind of feel like and i hope that this is something that's just going to pressure the nhl into you know coming back to the drawing board and saying let's talk about this again i'm not saying this is right uh, I am a person of color. Everybody knows this. But I feel like the NHL is looking at the Hockey Diversity Alliance and saying, we have better things to worry about right now. We don't even know how we're going to play. We will worry about you later. Again, I'm not saying that that's the right approach, but I feel like that that's what Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and anybody else is thinking when the Hockey Diversity Alliance is trying to get them to commit to a pledge. They're like, we're we're busy. We're trying to solve other issues right now, and we'll get back to you. And I hope that's what happens because the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Alliance should be working together. It's what's good for business. It's what's good for the black players like Evander Kane that are still a part of the NHL, and it's what you know, is great for someone like you and someone like me who wants to see this this sport develop and, and uh, diversify. I'm with you. I, I hope the conversations get resurrected, but that's what disappoints me the most is the fact that basically both sides are saying, all right, we're done having this conversation. We're just going to go our separate ways. And that tells me that one side or the other is being too pushy and not being open to negotiations. If the Hockey Diversity Alliance has these expectations that they want to be met and the NHL thinks they're a bit out there, well, then you talk about them. You negotiate, right? Well, 
if you're just cutting off all conversation and saying, nope, we're going to work completely away from the NHL, then, you know, I hope it's not one side or the other telling the other side to F off, right? I hope it's it's just, hey, let's talk about this again when things are a little bit more normalized and we ha- have the time and patience for, for including this in our daily thought because right now our main goal is just figuring out how the hell we're going to get the NHL started, let alone what we're going to do to make it better. Uh, but the thing that worries me about that is the fact that the NHL and Gary Bettman don't respond well to criticism. Uh, I just made a jab about how he called Greg Wyshynski of all people and Emily Kaplan of all people at ESPN so-called journalists because they wrote a great article, uh, the Bubble Confidential article. Um, Gary Bettman does not respond well to anything like that to being criticized and i feel like the hockey diversity alliance going out of their way to release a statement that they released today says to me that they are basically have lost hope in the nhl and gary bettman and bill daly uh even having a conversation with them where they felt the need to say we're cutting all ties that worries me but i could be wrong hopefully things change um it's something that i'll definitely be keeping an eye on yeah please I hope things change because this isn't something that can just be pushed aside or ignored. And you'd hate to see the Hockey Diversity Alliance have to work by themselves. And, you know, because with the power of the NHL, they're obviously a lot stronger. So, you know, I think without them, they would risk maybe even disintegrating. So I'd hate to see that. But now let's get to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Pew, 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 pew. I wish we had a sound effect there. Star number three. And this is a guy I neglected to talk about the last couple weeks, and I keep feeling bad about it because I I wanted to bring it up, and that's Blake Coleman. I'm giving it to Blake Coleman. Yes, he won the Stanley Cup, but let's look back at the trade deadline. Remember what happened with Blake Coleman? It was mistakenly reported that he was supposed to come to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, RDS. Exactly. TVA. He said, Blake Coleman to Colorado, and then... That didn't happen, and and moments later, it was Blake Coleman to Tampa Bay for a first-round draft pick and last year's 25th overall pick, Nolan Foote. Hell of a hefty price, but it was worth it for the kid. He's still under contract for one more year. He fits very well on that team, and he made a great line with Yanni Gord and Barclay Goudreau, the other guy they acquired at the deadline. So shout-out to Blake Coleman. I think he would have fit well on the Avalanche, too. He would have really not gone wrong either direction, but the yeah. fact that he, now that he's a Stanley Cup winner is obviously awesome for him and just crazy yeah. how fate has its way, right? It, it could have been yep. either way, and, and this is the and way it's it ended great. up for him. It's great for him because Blake Coleman is from Texas. He grew up a massive Dallas Stars fan, and he scored in Game 5, or sorry, Game 6, or Game 5. Damn, how many games did that series go? Six games. Yeah, six games, a double overtime. God, man, my brain is scrambled. He scored in game six. He scored the second Tampa Bay goal, the one that put the nail in the coffin and made it two to nothing. And uh, he spoke heavily about how much of a dream come true that was to be able to score against the Dallas Stars, even though it was in this bubble scenario somewhere in Edmonton when game six should have been in Dallas. Uh, but shout out to Blake Coleman. It was a it was a hell of a trade for him. And, and you know, he's now forever a Stanley Cup champion. Star number two. That's going to Justin Barron. You don't get to be a number one or, I guess, first-round draft pick and not get a, a first star of the week, right? Come on. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought him back up because there's a lot of things about him that I forgot to talk about when we were discussing with him is 
I mean, we did mention he played for the Halifax Mooseheads, but he's also from Halifax, which is where Nathan McKinnon is from. Halifax has had, the Mooseheads have had 12 players get drafted in the first round of the NHL. Three of them were selected by the Avalanche. So 25% of the Halifax Mooseheads first round draft picks in its history have come from the Avs. Can you name the three by any chance? I got Nathan McKinnon. Other than that, no names come to my head. So Justin Barron's the second one, Nathan McKinnon, and one Alex Tangay, who scored a Stanley mm. Cup game-winning goal for the Avalanche in 2001. So I thought that was a neat statistic. I thought it was cool that Nathan McKinnon won the Memorial Cup, not the President's Cup, but the Memorial Cup Ayo. with the Halifax hey, with the Halifax Moosehead in 2013. And in 2019, uh, Justin Barron was part of the Halifax Mooseheads team that made it to the final and lost 4-2 to to Ryun Noranda in the Memorial Cup final. So there's a lot of connections there with McKinnon. Uh, when we talked to Justin Barron yesterday, I asked him if he had had any players reach out to him, and he said McKinnon had sent him a text message. And then the second guy that sent him a text message and reached out was Kale McCarr. And that is just awesome to me because that says that McCarr has developed himself into a leadership role. If, if or when Eric Johnson is gone, that A is going to get stitched on McCarr's jersey so fast because he has become a leader on this team, the leader of the blue line, not just offensively and with skill, but with leadership and, and classiness. And it was great that a kid as young as McCarr went out of his way to test to text Justin Barron to obtain his number some way, somehow. And I bet McKinnon already had it because they live in Halifax, well, but he, he did that. Here's the pessimist side of me. I'm starting to find those a little fishy and a little bit um, overplayed because, like you just pointed out, how the hell would Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr just happen to have this guy's number? To me, it seems like more of something where Avs PR is saying, hey, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, here's this guy's number, shoot him a text, more so than them being like, oh, I got to reach out to this guy right now. I but don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm usually a pessimist with things like that. If things seem fake, I'm going to come out and be like, cut the bullshit. It's fake. Uh, but... It's the hockey community, and I know how the hockey community is, and because of that, I'm willing to believe that as soon as this kid got drafted, uh, just like when Newhook and Byram were drafted last year and Landeskog was serenading them with Tex and Coles, as soon as this kid got drafted, the Avalanche players watching from home were like, hell yeah, let me let me get in touch with this guy. Hey, Joe, what's his number? Hey, Jean Martineau, what's his number? Hey, you know, Danielle or, or, or McNicholas, Brendan. I uh, forgot his first oh, name man, for a second. Oh, man, he's going to hate you. Hey, yeah, hey, but he obviously listens to this podcast, right? Just like Liam Foodie, right? All the ads. There's no do, way he does that. Yeah, so it, it's it's something that I think is actually a real thing, and I think it's cool because it's how the hell did they get his number? Well, they went out of their way to reach out to obtain his number and text him and say, "Welcome to this to the organization, kid." Maybe that brings us to star number one. Not a hockey player at all, but rather. Alex Trebek loved what he did. What for the is Ottawa Senators. Tim Stutzel? I loved it. It was absolutely great. Uh, we know what Trebek went through. He was uh, treated for cancer and he beat it. And uh, he was away from Jeopardy for a while, came back. I remember there was that chilling moment where somebody on Jeopardy uh, decided to basically nuke his chance at winning because in the final question, he bet all of his money just to write, we love you, Alex, and show it to Trebek. And Trebek kind of choked up. It was really cool. He did it with the third overall draft pick. He did it with Tim Stutzla, who he called Tim Stutzel, which who cares? He's Alex Trebek. And he said, who is the Ottawa Senators going to select third overall? Correct answer, who is Tim Stutzel? 
And I love that the senators did that. I also love the tweet that I read afterward that said that the Ottawa senators are now bankrupt after that cameo from Alex Trebek. <laughs> you know they had to take a couple takes, probably at least two, because what if uh, you know if it was Quentin Byfield that was left? Um, you know they they at least did two takes there. So funny that they had to be on their toes and say, "Oh, Quentin Byfield was just selected. Let's throw the uh, the other tape." Probably playing Game a Stutzla. Yeah, yeah. But that's the uh, Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. Dra- app. Whoa, I, I got ahead of myself. Download that today if you haven't already. But um, that puts us uh, at the end of our podcast here. So thanks for hanging out with us, Arif. Your closing words. My closing words is that we are now an hour and 11 minutes into this podcast, which brings us ever so much closer to the opening of free agency, which is in exactly 36 hours and 20 minutes because it is 9.40 p.m. Ooh, that's some good math. I'm excited to see what happens Friday. The Avalanche are historically a team that always makes a move on July 1st. I expect them to bring in a defenseman, uh, a depth defenseman. I expect Zadorov and Jost to get traded. Uh, at one point or another, and I also expect the Avalanche to bring in a forward, whether it's a Dadanov and a Hoffman or a bigger name like a Taylor Hall, whether you know the defenseman is the big name and it ends up being Tori Krug or maybe Petrangelo, whether they go out and trade for somebody like Kyle Palmieri, I know the Avalanche will bring in another forward. Maybe it's somebody of the Nemesnikov level and the Nemesnikov ilk, but I feel they will go out and acquire somebody. Uh, with that being said, we will record for you either Friday night or Saturday morning. We'll bring you more podcasts. Uh, please do subscribe, listen, tell your friends, give us any feedback necessary. Let's keep this baby rolling as the most exciting part of the offseason is underway. 100% we will be waiting with bated breath. So, yep, thanks for listening to us today on Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. But other than that, hockey's for everyone. We got you.